lovely people, I'm Halo Quinn, your host this evening. Thank you for showing an interest in tea, the Enchanted Academy, or the hot beverage, which is magic. And thank you for joining us to listen to the introductory chat on the elements of magic that I hosted on Wednesday the 4th of March 2021. So, uh, yeah, it was a really lovely session with people who contributed some lovely things, um, packed full of loads of information. Unfortunately, I had some technical issues, purely my fault, um, which meant that the meditation didn't quite go as planned, so I will be re-recording that. So this is actually the first segment and the meditation will be in the next segment that I will share with you uh, shortly. But I thought I'd get this out for you while, because I know there are people who are waiting while I've I've gotten this far with the edits. So I thought I'd share it with you. Um, yeah, so again, I'm Halo Quinn. This is part of the Enchanted Academy. And this is the Elemental Magic introductory chat for your pleasure. Uh, so sit back. Relax. Enjoy. So, as you have all noticed, um, I go by the name of Halo. Um, I go by various other names, but uh, Halo is actually the one that I'm most commonly known by, um, especially in magical circles. And um, it was a name I kind of acquired by accident, but it suits me. It's stuck. I've had it for half my life. Um, and then when I, I started publishing, I ended up having to choose a surname to go with the one name because you can't just put Halo on a book because all of the forms want a second name. Like, okay, right, what shall I go for? So I went for Quinn, for the Harlequin, because I am a patchwork kind of person. I like mixing and blending all of the different things. And it's there's something very important, which those of you that have been involved in reclaiming will be aware of, um, which is the concept of reverent irreverence and irreverent reverence and that's something that for me um is something that's quite important to remember within magical practices things like that because it's important to to take things seriously but it's also important to know that serious doesn't necessarily mean not fun Serious doesn't necessarily mean boring. Serious doesn't necessarily mean not playful. And that's something that I want to try and uh, bring to everything that I do. Now, those of you that know me in person know that I am a very serious person. I like this kind of everything is really intensely serious. So I try to balance that out with, with this. Um, yeah, so that's while not actually telling you anything about me, hopefully we'll tell you everything about me to know. 
My background is primarily in uh, reclaiming and Anderson Ferry. Um, I have a variety of trainings in traditional witchcraft um, and within OBOD as well. So I've gone through OBOD, the first two grades of OBOD. Um, I have spent two and a half decades doing independent and directed study in a variety of different spaces and practicing magic uh, within those contexts for the whole of that time. The only reason I've been able to do that as an ADHD is because it is my absolute, the love of my life. Magic is my, my primary relationship. It is my, my heart, my hyper-focus, but my, my absolute passion and my, my true work. And reclaiming as a tradition uh, gave me the space when I encountered it to bring that into community. So by the time I'd found reclaiming, I was already engaged in doing this as solo work. And I was already engaged in pulling together various threads and studying things in various places. So I wasn't really willing to go and, and submit to a, a dogmatic structure. And I fell into Anderson Ferry and the, the Blue Fire spoke to me and led me on this path into the reclaiming community where it is an ecstatic creative non-hierarchical tradition obviously as human beings we end up with dynamics happening within that because that's that's what we do but at the core of it um there is this this emphasis on each of us being our own authority each of us learning from each other regardless of perceived uh power or um perceived hierarchies and all of us sharing to create as a community. And that really spoke to me. So that's where a lot of my practical in community teaching and ritual work. And I studied elements of magic with various reclaiming teachers and went through those sorts of paths. But I've had all of the other threads of stuff that I've been doing that I've woven into it. So I'm hoping that even if you've looked at those things before, I can provide those things. I'll try and stop talking with my hands in case I catch the, the wire of the headphone and <laughs> knock you all flying. Um, so this is obviously just a, an introductory, like skimming over things, but I'd like to include some practical stuff as well today so that we can get a feel of it because otherwise it all ends up very head based and that can get like, too top heavy. And it's nice to actually be able to get into our bodies because ultimately that's one of the places that magic is. My fundamental uh, philosophy of magic is that it is part of the world. It's part of the everyday. And we've got this uh, cultural dichotomy between spirit and matter, between the soul and the body. We can all guess where that comes from. And actually, if if we look at it, if we look at the way our scientists talk about it, if we look at the way our mystics talk about it, if we look at the way our magicians and our witches and our, our people who engage in it talk about it, the energetic and the spiritual is just another layer of the material and the material is just another layer of spirit. They're all just part of the same thing, vibrating at different frequencies. So what, 
we get back to that that model of um which is so common within within magic of as above so below as below so above and that principle whereby if we affect one aspect of it we affect the other and vice versa so this is specifically to talk about the elements of the elements of magic and within reclaiming what we tend to do with an elements of magic course is use uh, the classical elements as a framework for organizing activities and tools and then we work our way through the the five different um sets of correspondences in order to to give a a framework for training for learning but the elements of magic themselves are things that can be worked with. so the classical elements which we've got records of a very quick look at wikipedia will give you a long list of all the ancient cultures which have the the same model of the classical elements um so ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, Persia, Babylonia, um, Tibet, you can see I'm remembering the list that um, I double checked earlier, even in India, you may well have met, uh, come across mentions of the elements in, I think, Ayurvedic, but that. The one main place where the model is slightly different is in China, where you have a slightly different set of elements, but there's still five elements, five classical elements right right back in classical antiquity there was four and the, the fifth kind of appeared at some point so the the five classical elements that we tend to work with in uh modern day witchcraft are earth air fire water and spirit these were considered to be the building blocks of the universe the energetic foundational pieces especially the first four so earth being the material, the physical, the tangible, air being the mental, the spark of inspiration, the breath, the word, water being the emotional, that flow, the stormy emotions as much as the calm, joyous one, and fire being the spark of passion of desire, of movement. Spirit then is an odd one. And it can be seen, it can be described as either the glue that holds it all together or the thing that comes when all four are combined. It's sometimes described as the void or the mystery and the container that holds it all. And that's one of the things to, to dwell on when you're thinking about spirit is maybe it's all of these things maybe that paradox of both the container and the center point both the thing that holds the four together and the thing that happens when all four are combined that's something that's always worth dwelling on so these classical elements as they're known moved through and they cropped up throughout history and they were considered to be as, as far as we can tell scientific truths about the building box block of of reality and then more recently we get to the medieval era and they were present in alchemical 
systems and used in those sorts of places, which again was as much a science as an art. Nowadays, we want to divide these things up. And again, you've got that division between the spiritual and the physical in this attempt between putting things into little tiny boxes. And the scientists will tell you, well, no, the world isn't really made up of um, a spark of fire and a drop of water, a breath of air and a pile of dust. But it kind of is. Even on that physical level, it kind of is. Life is what arises when you get those four things together. When you get the physical matter of Earth and the movement and drive of fire, the water that brings things to life and that flows through things, and the breathing, the breath of air, the exchange of, of air and communication. That's what happens. That's, that's where spirit arises. That's life. So, you know, there's a, a, a literal truth and a poetic truth. There's a spiritual truth and a magical So that's a bit of the, the background of the history and what have you of the elements of magic. And um, just to, to go back to what I intended to put, I've actually got some notes here to keep me on track, but I'm a bouncy digger so I jumped between them and I apologize um so yeah the the model of magic that I work on is a literal one my personal experience is that when I engage with magic as a real force so the en uh, the energies and the impacts of it as a real practice and thing my life improves my life is better. Things work. Things happen that I can't explain. There is also a psychological model, which is to say uh, that if you cast a spell for confidence, you're going to be more confident because placebo effect. Though I always like to, to comment that we don't actually know how the placebo effect works. As far as I'm concerned, that's magic. So yeah, there's so there's the the literal and the psychological, and then there's the poetic. You can claim a poetic model of magic to go well. Actually, it's it's just a beautiful way of describing. And I think all three of those are true. I started out when I when I got into magic thinking, okay, well, even if it's just psychological, I'll explain it to others and go, well, it's psychological. I'm doing ritual because it's a psychodrama and it helps me get in the right headspace. And then the more I did it, the more I found that actually it, it, there were results, so it seemed to work. So I operate on a literal model, but you don't have to. Your experience may be vastly different from mine. And I don't think that um, taking it with a... I will try this and see how it pans out. As long as you ha have that open mind and test it with a, right, I will do this with a commitment that this is going to work and then see how your results pan out with whatever it is you're doing. See what happens after that. And even before that, if you want to get into time, but let's not, then you'll know whether or not it's working for you, whatever the reason is. There's this wonderful uh, piece, and I'll paraphrase Victor Anderson, who the the grandmaster of the fairy tradition founder, whichever labels you want to apply. Um, 
and the fairy tradition being one of the main magical threads that runs through reclaiming he would talk about about witchcraft about magic as being a something you approach as though it's a science you do the the work you see what the results are suspend disbelief open your eyes and see what happens and the results will speak for themselves either it'll work for you or it won't more often than not these things work so yeah so that's the the models that i'm working on that's some history that's some bits and pieces does anyone have any questions i really like the um sorry i've now got a frying pan sizzling in the background um i really like that thought process of kind of like the three strands of i guess kind of where you can trace it or where it's grounded and, and, and recognizing that there are different elements and kind of going well you could make something as pretty and poetic as you like because it that works for you and that helps you to utilize it in the best way for you and recognizing that that is very separate to something that is as you say then kind of like ritual and routine and things like that that have their own place and are very helpful and you know just the different ways of utilizing it and kind of that fits in with the kind of do what works for you because you can choose whatever balance of it's not just a prescriptive this is the way we do things it's a this is the way things can be done and here are different ways of doing the same thing and everyone will have a different balance of what works for them whilst all doing effectively the same thing if that makes sense <laughs> it totally does yeah there's something and um, something that gets talked about quite a lot is people get together and go oh what's your what's your practice how do you do your magic um or like how do you cast your spells let's talk about spell casting and like spell casting is amazing in the, the the traditional sense the way that people people talk about it um it's really cool when you people making making pouches and poppets and candle magic and all of those things great fun most of the actual spell work in casting and conjuring that i personally do um tends to be making art i cast my my spells through my poetry when i write a poem i'm writing magic into the fabric of the world when i draw a picture i'm meditating more often than not on the energies and the magics and the deities that i'm working i often do ritual i often do devotional ritual but if i'm going to do do a spellcraft um in a more traditional sense or a big ritual it tends to be as a community thing for me because yeah writing poetry is magic i find that really interesting because my background is theater and that that i can't explain the energy that you get from people like there's been moments where i've been in a room and i've been like i can't explain that to anyone like what what is happening in this moment between these human beings and like just all the games and exercises that you that you do and there's so much around around breathing and around being grounded and about feeling what's around and I, I, it's just all I, I was I've been doing theatre since I was tiny and it was I always found it really interesting that how closely it tied into anything meditative that I did or anything linking to magical practices like as a teenager, when I was in the midst of, you know, that was, I was a theatre kid, that was my life. And finding that overlap, I could never really articulate it, but it's really nice hearing someone else with a creative outlet voice that. Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That Because that's really, yeah. Go for it. Um, I think actually one of the interesting, uh, I think once people have 
been in an artistic or kind of theatre context and have felt the power of kind of raising energy, like when people are uh, singing music, harmonising and things like that, and suddenly feeling that um, people harmonise. Like you get a group of people to sing something together and then you get them to do something and they're more in sync. And we've done it the other way around. We've done like a grounding, sinking exercise and then and then got people to sing together and they were all already in harmony because it's the same thing. And it actually makes sense because it's humans. We would have sung before we could talk and that it is a way uh, on a subconscious level of, of hearing and being in harmony with other people. Um, and the other thing that I think is interesting is that when energy is raised, when there's like a whole lot of leftover energy in a room, one of the simplest and most basic ways to make it um, to clear the room of like too much energy is to clap. And um, and it's really funny in rituals because you are wanting to focus that energy towards something, towards an intention. And it's like, if you haven't managed to actually send it all off or ground it all, then you kind of like open the kind of circle and then people start clapping. <laughs> and I was like, that means we didn't ground it right. <laughs> but everyone knows the feeling of like going, oh, wow, there's, there's still heaps of energy in the room because that's when people spontaneously clap. So you know what energy feels like. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, that I mean, that's so true. Things like that are really important. And it, it just... It reinforces for me that connection between the body and the spirit, the the physical and the magical. And when you start to look at it as as like layers of of making magic happen. So if if magic is the the art of changing the world and changing consciousness and manifesting things deliberately, then you've got this this thing where you sort of affect the spiritual and then bring it down into the physical or affect the physical to vibrate it up into the spiritual depending on on how you're operating um, to have that then spread out and, and affect the rest of the world so microcosms into macrocosms but I found that that for myself the more that I bring it into my physical body and I, I spent a long time when I was younger trying to be in my head um, just for a variety of reasons but yes being in my head away in the mental realm and in fantasy books and and what have you but the more I bring it down into the body the quicker the shifts and the in in magical results happen so the closer my mind and my body are aligned and my energetic uh, and emotional selves are, are connected and that that alignment with the spirit and the more I'm physically here and present, the more what I feel from spirit to be guided for and what I think and what I feel and what happens physically all end up being almost immediately simultaneous. Uh, sort of it's it's a very, very fast thing rather than doing a, doing a spell where you're lighting some candles and then three weeks later what you wanted might turn up or it might not. Um, not that say, not that I'm saying that candle magic can't have almost instantaneous results, but for me, it was that act of bringing those things 
into alignment and then bringing myself down into my body and stopping trying to escape from this world that made a, a big difference. Connecting that back to the elements, then if we've got those five elements and we've got spirit being that, um, if we look at spirit as being the mysterious and the mystery and the divine and the uh, the the love of the gods and the goddess, that that um, and in yourself being your highest self, which is the point at which you could be said to connect to that divine all. You then bring that down into the the spark of fire and of action where we're sort of going out into the world. You bring that down into the, the mental, the air and where we speak from, how we communicate, how we connect, how we're thinking about things. Down then into the emotional and how we're feeling about things. And then down into the physical and into what is happening and what we're doing. So you've got that transition between them, but it also runs the other way. So the physical through into the emotional, you can change your emotions. You can change water by shifting the earth of your body. You can then change how, what you're thinking by shifting how you're feeling. There's nuances and degrees of how much control we each have over this um, and the situations and things it doesn't always work but there's there's ways in which we can help orientate ourselves one way or another and then again that that echoes out and that always gets me thinking about the way in which uh, so does everyone know the if i talk about the tree of life in the kabbalah with the 10 spheres that come down does everyone recognize that model? So what you've got is you've got sphere number one at the top and it comes and that's the, the divine source, the divine all. And then that comes down and manifests through the different layers of, of reality. And you've you've got the sort of the, the trinity at the top and then it goes across an abyss into the physical um, manifest realm with the sun in the center for Tipereth and, and the pinnacle of of embodied humanity and then below that you've got your mental and emotional realm the dream realm and the physical down to number 10 but as magic workers a lot of the, the Kabbalistic magicians are sort of traveling up that tree and going okay well we're starting at, at earth at the earth at Malkuth and we're traveling up through all the different Sephiroth up to the divine oneness and that's that mystic. The mystic journey is straight up the middle, um, whereas the magician's journey is bouncing around various paths. OK, all gets you to the same point. That then becomes sphere 10 of the next one. So you go from the bottom sphere up to the top sphere and the top sphere becomes the bottom sphere of the next tree. And it's trees all the way up. Which also means that the bottom sphere, sphere 10 of the tree where we're at, is the top tr sphere of trees below. So it's trees all the way down too. And it's always worth remembering that. And it's the same with the elements. All five are present in Earth. All five are present in this world. All five are present in all, in spirit, in all the others. So we, st we talk sometimes in reclaiming about the air of fire 
or the earth of water. And you begin to look at where they're connecting and how they're expressing in different ways. So the, the earth of water perhaps might be, well, how are you physically expressing your emotions if we're talking about it in a bodily sense? We're talking about it in a world sense, in the way that the world is is flowing. Um, then it's okay. Well, you look at the sea. The earth of the sea is what seaweed is. How that's growing is the bodies of the fish. And you start to sort of see all these correspondences and the way that all the different things overlap and interconnect. So. We have an amazing, beautiful web of things, and that's great. But magic and witchcraft, specifically, which is what I do, is a craft. It's a practice. So thinking about all these things is wonderful. I love it. See, look, I'm up in my head again. I studied philosophy, by the way. That's the the um like I've I've just finished my writing up my philosophy PhD. So I've I've spent the last 15, 16, 17 years studying philosophy very much in my head. So thinking about it's great fun, talking about it's wonderful. But what does it actually mean for what we're doing with it? What's the actual point of all of the, the pontificating? Understanding these different different aspects helps to know what we can do with them and where we can go with it. That's why the the, the thinking's you. But if we don't do anything with it, then we're not practicing. We don't get anywhere. We're not bringing it into our bodies. We're not bringing it into the world. So we're not actually reaping many of the benefits. We're just having some fun. So what I'm going to do uh, is take a sip of my tea. I'm going to light a candle. And I'm going to take us through uh, meditation while I am drinking my tea. Does anyone have any comments, questions? Could I ask a question? Please. Um, just like, you know, part of the thing about the conscious mind is it's a really comfortable place and other people, um, your body, magic is all connection and that's always dangerous or like, you know, is something to be something you can have like fears or complexes about and shit. I don't know. I'm not explaining it very well, but like as we do this course, like, have you got plans for how to make sure that the exercises we do are things that we've had a chance to, like, consent to in an informed way? Um, yes. So so this is an intro, obviously an introductory um, chat to the, the concept. The course itself will start next week. And what I've got is all of the exercises are written out so you'll get those and you can do those or not do those as you are comfortable with. So you can read through them all and what have you. And the chats themselves will be about the, the theory discussing will be there for questions. So thank you for bringing that up. Anyone else? I was actually interested in the other side of things, which was that um, would the chats actually be a chance to practice um uh, any of the exercises and stuff with other people because I find that quite useful. Okay, um, and that's something that I could, I could facilitate. Complete opposite. Yeah, so um, it's one of those things. So because I've got set up the the space, the academy space as a, a forum with different spaces for different kinds of conversation and what have you, it's basically a series of interlinking chat rooms. 
but there are multiple uh, audio spaces. So if people wanted to get together and work through exercises or be guided through them, um, then we can do that separate to like the talking about the theory. It's also a thing that if you've got the the exercises written down and anyone wants to opt out, they can. Um, so I'll always try and explain what it is we're going to do before we do it so that you know what what you're getting engaged with and what you're letting yourself into what i would what i would ask is that if and i'll I'll send out a, a thing and ask people to feedback to me about comfort levels and things like that um and whether there's anything that i need to know um or and it's because yeah this is engaging with something that as i say is real and can have real effects and it can be very healing but i'm not a therapist so i'm not uh qualified to to guide people through if if major issues come up so we will have to navigate those things sensitively but yeah so in answer to your questions uh no one has to do anything and yes i could make space for going through exercise as you can tell, I can talk a lot, so um, I don't want to over, overwhelm things with, with head stuff. Was there any other questions or comments? I thought it was interesting that you brought up Kabbalah because I'm Jewish and it was always very interesting to me. Um, I had many, many arguments with my parents growing up about, well, I don't know, my mum was fine. Uh, my dad took great issue with me putting a pentacle on a chain around my neck. Um, and then I came back to him with some ancient, some ancient pagan writings that had Hebrew lettering around them. And I went, you can't argue with that. It's one and the same thing. It's a different. And that was that was all around the time that, that Britney and Madonna were making Kabbalah popular and going down the very commercial way of talking about it so it was very interesting that was all I'd heard of it and then it was interesting when I started doing some digging and reading I always found it very I found it fascinating that it could sit so comfortably alongside my kind of Jewish cultural I always see I see myself as a very culturally Jewish one rather than religiously Jewish um and I found I enjoyed the fact that it didn't conflict at all there was nothing that I ever came across that made me go oh that clashes or all that stuff. So if anything, it made the Jewish side of things more meaningful. And I was able to find more connections that way than I had otherwise. So it's yeah, it's nice to hear you mention it. <laughs> That's really cool. Thank you. Um if you do ever read any um uh Starhawk who kind of was one of the founders of the reclaiming tradition, she came from a Jewish background and so that's still very culturally important to her. And so she, you know, talks about putting out the bitter herbs for Elijah and then kind of like arguing about like needing to include women more or something with him as well. I don't know. Can you, it, anyway, can sorry, you that doesn't make much sense. But there's a whole there's a whole bunch yeah. of Jewitches. There's Jewitches out there. Yeah. Can you put her name in the chat so I can Look her up because I will forget. Yeah. Starhawk. So, yeah. Cool. We'll do. I will add some things.
thank you for that. That's um, I actually forgotten the Starhawk link. The um, something that's interesting to to note with the Kabbalah in a lot of neo pagan spaces is that it's a westernized uh, model that came to us via ceremonial magic um, and the Freemasons and things. So uh, Israel Agadi is credited as the the person who wrote the the one that ended up with us the most in most of what I've encountered. Um, but I don't know, I don't know how that compares to the classical traditional um, origins of it. Um, it's something that's that's a fascinating idea to me. It's like, oh, that would be really cool to learn about. But it's a huge area of study, like traditional Jewish Kabbalah. It's it's so massive um, and so outside of, of my arena that I don't think I'm ever going to gonna get to that in my lifetime. Not in this lifetime anyway. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you found that that overlap and that that helped you. Um, and there is there's loads, of, loads more about that woven in through a lot of the, the modern neo-pagan magical traditions um, because of our heavy connection with uh, the ceremonial magic in the West. Um, yeah, that's a whole whole aspect of, of history and how the elements in came into things and the model that we use and how that's, that's come to be used in a lot of neo-paganism um, because those five elements, uh, especially the, the four earth, air, fire and water, the way in which their correspondences work within neo-paganism is often the model that's taken from ceremonial magic and the golden dawn and what have you around the, the beginning of the 1900s, that sort of era. Um, and obviously it's got ancient history, but that's where it came into this uh, magic, if you like, whereas the practices of of the cunning folk and the Suan in Wales um and the 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 people of the land and the the, the witchy witchcraft the the so-called low man often seem to have had a, di a very different set of correspondences and connections and where you see the elements in this kind of particular model come in tends to be from from that direction now the reason we've all picked it up is because it works and witches are nothing but if not practical and that'll be why if you go into a different neo-pagan group especially the the druidic-y themed ones some of them will work with so obod works with the four um or the five elements in because of of its roots but some of the other ones work with three instead and they work with land sea and sky so that's a different model, which is lovely, but isn't what we're talking about now. It's got a different set of roots. Okay. I was looking at looking at all the pictures, making sure everyone was nodding, and then I looked at me, and I was like, is she nodding? She's not nodding. Is she nodding? Maybe I'm not good for another 20 minutes.
So thank you, lovely people. I hope you enjoyed the first instalment of the Elemental Magic chat. I will be sharing the next half of it when I've managed to get through the editing. Do come and visit me at haloquin.net. That's H-A-L-O-Q-U-I-N dot N-E-T. Uh, and let me know what you thought. There is still space if you're on the mailing list. You've gotten an invite to T, the Enchanted Academy. So you are more than welcome to come along and hang out in the forum and chat there with people and share your experiences, share your thoughts and just generally help re-enchant the world. Thank you again and I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, bing! And now for a word from our sponsor, Halo Quinn. Next week, on Wednesday the 11th of March 2021, we will be starting a 10-week paid course on the elements of magic. It is packed with practical and theory, and there will be plenty of support and space to discuss in the Enchanted Academy. There are a few spaces left, so if you'd like to come and join us, then drop me a message and I will walk you through the process of registering.